What is up, everybody? Welcome into a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am your host, John Harris. Glad to be with you this Wednesday evening. And, well, we got a lot for you this evening. We are going to go behind enemy sidelines with DP Sue. We got to obviously learn a little bit about these Arizona Cardinals that we see every four years. Danny Surek is going to join us on the show to give us the skinny on the Cardinals. We're also going to have a little bit of our in the lab discussion, plus men behind the mics. One of my non-Mark Vandermeer favorite play-by-play voices is Dave Pash. He covers college football. He also is a play-by-play voice of the Arizona Cardinals. Then we're going to do a little where are they now with Zach Dials. Now, if you remember Zach, Zach was a seventh-round pick, I think, in 2007. I think it was 2007. was a heck of a player at Kansas State. Came to the Texans. Did some great things. Drew Doherty had a chance to catch up with him, and it was a fantastic discussion with Zach Dial. So we'll have a little Where Are They Now Wednesday. How about that? Where Are They Now Wednesday? That's not, that fits. Or Wednesday, Where Are They Now? Either way, I think it fits. The alliteration kind of is good. I like it. I like alliteration. I'm all, I'm all about it. Throwback Thursday, Flashback Friday, whatever the, those things. I don't know, social media things are, uh, I don't know. Either way, a lot on the show as I just broke down for you. Got a little bit of news about the injury report, and we're going to get to that. However, we're going to kick off the show as we like to do on a Wednesday. That is our weekly Wednesday interview with Nick Casario, general manager of your Houston Texans. Now, I know that if you're like me, Uh, social media you saw some news today potential news about what could happen with Deshaun Watson and there's potential for a trade with the Miami Dolphins now that's of course alleged we don't know uh, whether that will happen when it'll happen how it's going to happen we don't know all those different questions and that obviously broke on uh, sometime Wednesday we sat down with Nick on Tuesday so Obviously, not knowing that information was not something that uh, we were going to be able to ask of Nick Casario, and obviously, it's not something he probably is going to want to talk about until something is confirmed. If something happens, when it happens, when it all goes down, obviously, Mark and I are going to be able to sit down with Nick Casario and discuss the ins and the outs, but as of right now, things are alleged. We don't know any of the if, when, how, where, why, all that kind of stuff, So we don't know any of those questions, um, and those aren't going to come up in this discussion, but still a quality discussion with our GM, Nick Casario. Joining us right now, Texans Radio General Manager Nick Casario. Nick, great to see you. How you doing? Good. Yeah, doing well. Let's talk about Whitney Merciless here, no longer a Texan in his 10th year and been with the team a long time. I know these decisions are difficult. Can you go over what led into this? Yeah, sure. Anytime you make decisions, there's a lot of thought process that goes into it. I would say in this particular situation, like every player, just try to evaluate where we are and then ultimately just make uh, the decision that we feel is best for the organization. Uh, I know there's a lot of respect and admiration for Whitney, what he's done for this organization. He's meant a lot to a lot of people, done a lot of great things on the field and in the community, a lot of great relationships with a number of different people and different teammates. So anytime you do something like this, it's always difficult, uh, but ultimately, we have to make a decision and we have to move forward. And if you look at it just from where we are today, 
gives some other players maybe another opportunity to go out there and play and perform. We've had some players early in the season, JG, D-Walk, Jacob Martin, you know, some other guys. Charles has played a little bit earlier. So it just presents opportunities for some other players. So, you know, the door is open right now. Nick, how tough is that as a GM? The business of football intersects at a place where you've got a, I mean, just a, a pure ambassador to the community of Houston. And I'm just using that as one example, but how tough is that when the business of football sort of intersects with the game of football for you having to make a decision? Sure, it's always difficult. The reality is football is a people business, so you invest a lot of time, and a lot of people put a lot of time, a lot of hard work into putting the product on the field. So it's a lot of players throughout the course of their careers end up at different teams, end up at different places. So it's just part of the process. You try to do it in a respectful way and just realize that it not only affects the player, but the, there's a lot of other people on the periphery that are impacted as well. So just try to be respectful, try to be honest, and just try to do the right thing by everybody involved and ultimately make a decision and then move forward. Jacob Martin, Jonathan Grenard, you mentioned them, and Grenard's got four sacks to lead the team right now. What about their performances? What are you seeing so far this year? Yeah, they made some progress. I know J.G. was slow a little bit in training camp, had the ankle, mm-hmm. um, and then eventually when he came back, he's taken advantage of his opportunity. Um, you know, the Jacobs played probably 25, 30 snaps a game. So, you know, there's players that are going to have to step into some roles, and, you know, when given the opportunity, they go out there and perform. And, you know, J.G.'s taken advantage of that. There's some other players that have taken advantage of that as well. So still have 11 games or whatever is in front of us. The focus on this week is in Arizona and what we need to do, um, you know, prepare for that for that game. So, But there will be plenty of players. Hopefully they get a chance to go in there and step in and, you know, assume a bigger role. Offensive line seems to be the epitome of that. Without Laramie, without Justin, without Marcus, you have guys step up, give up two sacks. I don't know if one of them I could put on the offensive line. They run for 120 – team runs for 124 yards. You can put that on some of the offensive line. What do you think overall of kind of how that unit came together with parts that had to move in with Justin at center and obviously uh, Jaron out of the left tackle as well? Yeah, collectively they hung in there, played 75 snaps. We were a lot those five games. Yeah. Guys played the entire game. So there were some positives. There were some things that we can certainly correct or improve, but – I mean, it's a credit to that group. It's a credit to Coach Campen and the time that they invest. And players take ownership. And it, this is a good situation, a good example of you really never know when the opportunity yeah. is going to come. You have to be prepared for everything. So this loop goes back a little bit to the roster construction as well and just kind of creating competition and, get, and putting guys in roles that if they were forced into that situation, you have enough confidence they can go out there and perform. Nick, another move this week. Andre Roberts no longer with the team. And we know you have some other return guys who can do a good job there but you saw a bunch of him can you explain that decision for us yeah different but similar to to Whitney in some respects so you just look at the totality of where we are and everything that's gone on to this point and we just felt right now that was the best thing for us like you mentioned Mark there'll be other players that will have to assume those duties and responsibilities we saw a little bit of that in the preseason Mm -hmm. whether or not that actually manifests itself in the same way shape or form here moving forward we'll have to we'll go out there and practice tomorrow and see how that works so really it's to to John's point, it's never easy. It's about people. It's about relationships. You invest a lot of time, a lot of energy. Ultimately, we just felt, we, you know, we did what we felt was best for our team, and that's always what the focus is going to be today, tomorrow, a month from now, two months from now, a year from now. In 2017, you had Brandon Cooks up in New England when you were with the Patriots. Now you got him here in 2021 with the Texans. How have you seen him grow in those four years? Because as we watch him, we're like, hey, this guy breaks up there with one of the top receivers we've seen as a Texan, what have you seen in those four years from when you saw him in 2017 to where he is now in 2021? It's a great question because anytime you're with a player, you're looking at it at that particular point in time and then having the fortune, the good fortune, I guess, if you will, to be with Brandon however many years down the road, 
he's definitely improved. And I think it's a, cre- a testament, a credit to the amount of work and the time that he puts into his craft and improving in some areas. I mean, one thing, even going back to the spring, when I saw him move around, it's like, well, this looks like a different player. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's not that he's a different player, but he's grown. And the one thing about him, wherever he's been, he's been a consistent player. Yeah. Whether it was New Orleans, whether it was Los Angeles, he had, I want to say, it was right around 1,000 yards or so for us there in New England at the time. And he's been a very consistent player year after year after year. And he takes a lot of pride in what he does. And he puts a lot of work. And when you put the work in and then it translates over into production on the field, you see it's a pretty good formula. So he's the epitome of what you want in, in a professional and the amount of time and effort that he puts into it. For fortunate, we have a lot of other players that kind of have that same sort of mindset. But really, it's a tribute to Brandon and, and the work and the effort that he puts in and his skill level, which is, is, is pretty significant. Yeah, he seems to be the kind of guy you want other guys to look at and say, I want to be like him. What's he doing? And this might be a good question for coaches, too, but for you, Nick, it's hard to figure out who those guys might be or what the effect might be and the guys that might take to that, right, to be inspired by that and model their games after that. It's very, it's a very organic process because you don't take said player and say, this guy is going to show everybody what to do <laughs> yeah. and how to do it. But right. leadership is a lot of time about action, and action is about performance, and action is about how do you approach your training, how do you approach your recovery, how do you approach your practice. So if you're a player and you see those attributes, you sort of make mental note, and then you might go up to him and say, hey, John, what is it that you do in this situation that helps you to recover? Okay, whether or not you can actually actually implement that in the same way, shape, or form as the other player does, but it's really more information gathering. So that's how I would say players develop relationships with people, how people in leadership roles, if you will, are able to take that information and disseminate it to their teammates. So it's a very organic process. You're really not sure how it's going to come to fruition. You sort of have to let it take shape. And when you put a team together on a year-to-year basis, you sort of, in your mind, think it's going to go a certain way, but it might not go that way. So you kind of have to let the process play itself out. Speaking of process, this week, and I, and I, I know everything's a week-to-week process. Like I get it. Preparing for – Indianapolis is different from Arizona, is different from Buffalo. But Indianapolis you see twice a year, and we've seen them for however long. But, you know, Buffalo we just saw a couple of years ago. Cleveland we saw last year. You know, you see teams every so often in the AFC. But all of a sudden you take on an NFC team, and we haven't seen it for four years, and it's completely different in four years. And you're facing especially an offense that's kind of unique with what Cliff does, and you throw on top of that you got a quarterback that does things that a lot of other teams don't do complicating the process how tough does all of that make getting ready for Arizona this week yeah with the way the schedules work you see there's some teams you're going to see once every four years so what happened four years ago could be a lot different or it could be similar I would yeah. say in this particular situation they're a lot different team and a lot of in a number of different ways yeah. the way you articulated so I think the what you have to do is you have to invest the time and you have to actually put in the work and understand who the players are how they play, what's the philosophy from a coaching staff standpoint, understand Cliff from an offensive standpoint, understand Vance Joseph, what he does on defense, what's his thought process, what's Jeff Rogers' mindset in the kicking game, and then you overlay that with the players that they have on the roster in their particular roles. I think the one thing, the one operative word or the word that's appropriate to this team is explosive. So regardless if you look at them offensively, you look at them defensively in a kicking game, they have explosive players all over the field. So you have to understand that going in, and then you have to play a certain way if you want to give yourself a chance to ultimately have a positive result on Sunday. 
Nick, just to put a wrapper on the game on Sunday against the Colts, when you look at some of the numbers there, Johnny talked about the rushing yardage, passing yardage, that was okay. Didn't score, didn't move the ball into the end zone, but you moved it between the 20s. So is that encouraging? How do you assess that moving out of the game? I know you don't want to turn the ball over, and that really hurt you. Sure. You, you try to look at the game in totality and try to take the positives and figure out what are some of the things that we actually did well, what are some of the areas that we can do a little bit better. Ultimately, the game is about points, so scoring points and trying to figure out a way to score points and keep points off the board, that's the most important thing. So. Really, that game was kind of a microcosm of how things have gone in pockets at, at different points of time. We've had some success, and other mm-hmm. times it hasn't you know, worked out the way that, that we all have hoped or would, would have wished on a week-to-week basis. So from a team standpoint, and a few of the players have mentioned that, and Coach Cully talked about just overall consistency on a snap-to-snap, down-to-down basis, you know, and the overall hopefully will have help the overall execution of what we're trying to do in all three phases. I know there were some players that did get back, including Nico Collins, Rookie saw him in Cleveland. Unfortunately, got hurt on that uh, long catch and run on the first play. He gets back. He looked like he just fit hand and glove when he came back. What do you think of Nico, the rookie? Yeah, played 40-some snaps, so it's good to have him. Anytime you get players that haven't played in a little bit back on the field, it's always a good thing for your team. So Nico took advantage of some opportunities, had the third down conversion, had the pop pass, um, you know, some tight coverage. So he's worked hard. He's got a great attitude, Comes uh, shows up each day. He's ready to work. And he prepared himself to go in and actually play because there's a – Anytime you're off the roster on injured reserve, you can kind of go off into sort of a wayward area if you're not careful. But he's very diligent about it, spent a lot of time with our sports performance staff. And then to getting him ready to play this week goes back to his preparation and it goes back to the work that RP and Benny did with him getting ready to go. So he probably played a few more snaps maybe than we thought, but he came out of it okay. So now you want to try to build on what happened in the previous week. Every week we ask you about Davis, and it's a little bit of a roller coaster ride. And we saw some really good things in that game, along with the rest of the offense, like we were discussing. But obviously, you don't want to turn the ball over. So, what about the latest with your rookie quarterback? Yeah, the number one responsibility of the quarterback is to take care of the football and just know when, you know what, a, a good play is don't make a, a bad play worse by doing something that you really, quite frankly, don't have to do. So, some of that is, is going to be learned. Some of that happens pretty quickly. The reality is, you have to make decisions in about two seconds when you have the ball in your hand it's less than two it's less than three so right from pre-snap to the time the ball snap to what happens after the snap things happen quickly so you just have to continually train your mind go through your process understand what's happening on the other side of the ball and just make a good decision for the team so that's the most important thing so if he can take that and, and apply that in a, in a moving forward basis then he'll see improvement in some of those areas so two things one do you wish you had as much swag as Cliff Kingsbury? And two, you guys had him in New England for a while, <laughs> I, I, if I remember correctly. What was he? What was he like there? And how do you have you seen that translate into what he's doing now? There's yeah. what, uh, what makes you think he doesn't have as much swag? I, I don't, no, I, Nick's got his own no, swag. But look, I don't have as much. Nick Casario is never going to sit in a house <laughs> overlooking the mountains with a fire in front of him during the NFL draft. You never know. Ever. Yeah. Uh, no, I, am I, I right? I, no, I, I would say that's actually. You can't let that misconstrue, I would say, how hard Cliff works yeah. at mm-hmm. football. Yeah. He's very smart. Um, you know, when we drafted him in 02 or 03, I think it was 03, he was a very productive player at Texas Tech. You guys probably saw him play yep. down here a bunch. So mm-hmm. very smart, very productive player. Had some injuries that kind of sh- short-circuited his career a little bit. Um, but he, he's very – 
he's a very thoughtful individual, understands football, and he had success when he was at Texas Tech. You know, they won seven, eight games at different points, yeah. um, and he took advantage of his opportunity. I know there's a lot of people that kind of turned a blind eye when he was hired as if, you know, what is happening, but I think he's shown he's a very good coach. He's a very shrewd coach. He understands offensive football, and he's able to take the people that he has in place and put them in positions to be successful. So had a, a great uh, relationship with Cliff when he was in New England. Um, we all, it's always good to, to see him and catch up and quite frankly, not surprised at the success that he's had, that he's having with his team. And they've done a great job between him and, and, Co- uh, and Steve Kime. They've put together a really good team. And, you know, that's the reason they're one of the, they're the only undefeated team in the league right now. That was relatively early in your time with new England, not the earliest, but relatively early. When you look at some of these young guys who do jobs like quality control or whatever, how difficult is it to spot, oh, that might be a future head coach. I mean, these guys, we had Matt LaFleur here in this building and Rob Soller and guys like that when they were, you know, just in cubicles here and look at them now. So what about that part of it? Yeah, I, I actually, uh, Matt was the quarterback when I was a graduate assistant at Saginaw Valley. So I mean, when you're watching Matt LaFleur play quarterback, you're not going, well, he's going to be the head coach of the Green Bay Packers. Yeah. So. For, for ev- all of us, really, it's just about an opportunity. It's about a starting point. And then, really, it's about the work that you put in with whatever role that you have. And someone needs to see that and then extend you an olive branch and say, you know what, we think you have a chance to maybe be successful. And it's really about what you do with your job performance wherever you are. And mm-hmm. all of us along the way are blessed to be given an opportunity to do something. So you mentioned, you know, Matt was here earlier in his career. Mm-hmm. Coach Sala was here earlier in his career. I think when you're when you get into football, you're always kind of envisioning at some point if I can ever be ascend to a role that's bigger than the one I'm in now. You just all of us have those aspirations. You try not to put a timetable on it, and you just try to apply yourself day in and day out, and just really work. The most important thing I think all of us just need to keep in mind is it's all about work. So if you focus on the work and you put out a good product, the re- the rest of it will take care of itself. So I'd say Cliff is a good example of that. It goes from third string quarterback or practice squad quarterback to started his coaching career, got an opportunity. He was actually here at the University of Houston, right, as a part of, uh, yep. I think, uh, coaches, uh, Coach Sumlin. Yeah, Coach Sumlin's staff. So, was matter of yeah. fact, when Cliff was coaching here, I, I did a campus visit when I think Keenum was the quarterback. I yep. think they had, they had mm-hmm. Case, and they along the way they had Kevin Cobb as well. So there's you know, a lot of good players. So right. you, you never realize, okay, well, guy's coaching quarterbacks at the University of Houston. He's going to end up as the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. Nobody really thinks that. Right. In your mind, you're hoping that happens, but that's really not how it works. So I think in the end, you're just fortunate and blessed to have the opportunity that's presented to you and just try to take advantage of that while you're there. A guy that was also in this building was Vance Joseph. Now his defense coordinator there with Arizona. You talk about explosive players offensively. It feels like they've got explosive players defensively as well. Obviously, explosive being different. But it seems like they have that on the defensive side. What do you see on that side of the ball Vance has got? No question. Aggressive coach. And they really have really good players at all three levels of the defense. So it's not just, well, the defensive line, the linebackers. They have literally, I would say, great players at all three levels. I mean, Two of arguably the best players, whether it's you know defensive tackle and JJ Chandler Jones is as disruptive a defensive player in the league. Mm-hmm. One guy that probably is a little bit underrated, but is a really good football player is Hicks. Yep. So he's very consistent, very instinctive, very productive. They drafted Simmons last year, kind of was a hybrid role. He's big and fast. They drafted Collins in the first round this year. And then you go to the secondary, and you got the Tasmanian Devil playing back there in Buda Baker. I mean, 5'9", 190 pounds, but he plays like he's 225 pounds. Mm. So 
they challenge you in a lot of different areas, and Vance's mentality is to play very aggressively. So it's a combination of coverage, a combination of blitz, but they, they play with, I'd say, an attacking mentality, an attacking mindset, and you have to be cognizant of where their players are because they can wreck the game, any handful of them, on one single play. I've got one more for you. The Tasmanian devil quality, which is my own term. Okay, well, you said Tasmanian devil. But <laughs> I'm using that for I, draft coverage. No, but I think there is, there is a quality, right? You must see some guys in college who have that, and it might not necessarily translate because maybe they just can't do it at this level. But that's a special quality to have, right, where you just relentless energy all over the place. You can't teach that. So mm-hmm. it's an innate quality. And then when you overlay that with a physical skill or characteristic, which I would say when you see Buddha play, you know, he, he just – it, it speaks to you and just jumps off the film. And he was that way at the University of Washington, which they've had a lot of good f- uh, football players in the secondary. I mean, Murphy, uh, you know, yep. by, uh, they're, they're starting corner, second year, University of Washington, really productive, really instinctive player, good ball skills there. Same secondary as Buddha. Buddha played nickel corner, actually. He was a slot corner. He played more slot corner than he did safety. So he drafted to play safety. And again, he's just, he has this playing style that you have, uh, he plays fast. He plays very explosively, and at safety, there's an instinctive component as well that's involved, and he possesses those qualities. So when you put it together, there's a reason why they made him one of the highest-paid safeties in the league two or three years ago when they extended him, and I rightfully was, so. I was so worried that you guys were going to draft him in New England when he came out. I was like, <laughs> that dude, is a, he's a patriot. The way, the way that they can figure this out, and they're going to put him in at nickel, and he's going to wreck shop, and Arizona draft him. I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God, because he get, does. He he kind of he he epitomizes what you sort of want a football player to be: versatile, physical, fearless, fast. I mean, leader. I mean, he's pretty much everything. You I can mean, throw measurables out the window. There's a good example. Yeah. He's five nine, 190 pounds. So you right. say, well, he's not the prototypical size or safety. Uh, who cares? This yeah. guy's a phenomenal football player, and that's the truth. Yep. All right, Nick. Thanks so much for the time. Good luck this week. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Take care. That's the man himself, Nick Casario, general manager. Got a lot of things going on, as I mentioned going into that interview. The alleged news about a Deshaun Watson trade to Miami came out on Wednesday. We spoke with Nick on Tuesday, so that didn't come up in our discussion. It will be something, obviously, the three of us will be able to discuss when it becomes official, if and when it becomes official, so keep that in mind. All right, a little bit of news, I guess, on the field, and that is the injury report always comes out on Wednesday. I'm always curious to see how that thing is going to look, especially from the Texans' side of things. And today, hey, Justin Britt dealing with a knee, did not participate. Terrence Brooks had that chest injury that took him out of the game against Indianapolis. Jaleel Johnson dealing with a back issue. Uh, and then Brandon Cooks, not injury-related. So those are your four DMPs today at practice. Now, for the Cardinals, they've got a pretty long list. Um, in names, some of them you know, some of you don't, but they're all key. Uh, to what the Cardinals do. Kelvin Beecham starting tackle, dealing with ribs. Daryl Daniels, hamstring, Kylie Fitz, concussion. Jordan Hicks, a toe and an ankle. Devin Kennard, shoulder, Rashard Lawrence, and Justin Pugh. Uh, those guys all dealing with issues, did not participate. Oh, also, DeAndre Hopkins did not participate. Uh, not injury-related. That is his, that is his rest day. So, uh, Hop will be ready to go. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm not worried about that, but... The Cardinals do have the Packers next week. And I would guarantee you that they are thinking about that game more than more than anything else. Um, yeah, they've got the Packers and then at San Francisco. So 
you know, who's to say what they're going to do with their injury situation if they th- feel like they can rest some guys and get away with it. But we'll see how that all goes. Now, one transaction piece today. The Texans added Jimmy Morrissey, rookie from Pitt, center, because of Justin Britt obviously dealing with the issues he's been dealing with with his knee. So Jimmy Morrissey added to the roster and I don't even know what the roster sits at right now. Things just move so fluidly with COVID issues. Oh, and that was the other one. Ross Blacklock coming back from COVID-19. It was great to see Ross back at practice today. And hopefully he can be ready to go as soon as possible. Don't know if that'll be this Sunday against the Cardinals. But hopefully he'll get ramped up and be ready to go very soon. Okay, when we get back, we're going to go behind the enemy sidelines. And we're going to learn a little bit about this Arizona Cardinals football team with our good friend DP City right here on Texans All Access. I am calling all my Houston area teachers out there. Do you want to bring a little Texas football to your classrooms? Then sign up for Toro's Math Drills, presented by Phillips. Toro's Math Drills is a video series designed to help third and fourth graders learn how to tackle math in the classroom. Go to HoustonTexans.com slash Toro's Math Drills to learn more. Now, somebody that I know would have made a fabulous teacher like yours truly, John Harris, football analyst and silent reporter, is D.P. Sidhu. She's an even better reporter, analyst, interviewer, and she had a chance to go behind enemy sidelines to talk with Danny Shurek from Cardinals.com. She's a team reporter for the Cardinals. Let's learn a little bit more about these Cardinals from DP and Danny. It's Enemy Sidelines presented by Microsoft. My guest this week, Danny Sarek. She's a team reporter for the Arizona Cardinals, sitting at 6-0, the only undefeated team in the NFL uh, this team seems pretty talented in all phases. Does this Cardinals team have any weaknesses? If we were going into this last week's game against the Browns, it would have been really easy to say it's the run defense. But of all weeks for this Cardinals defense to figure it out, it was this past week against the Browns who had the number one rushing team in the league, and they held them to just 73 rushing yards. So it seems like on both sides of the ball, this Cardinals team has really found a way to be cohesive, and they've done so with injuries and adversity, not only with players, but with coaches as well who weren't on the sideline. So there aren't any blaring you know, concerns on this team right now. And I think that's what makes them so scary is there's not necessarily one easy part about this team for opponents to pinpoint to attack. Yeah, you mentioned the missing the coaches. I was going to say, yeah, last week, uh, maybe not having your head coach on the sideline, but that really didn't even seem to be too much of a deterrent for a Cardinals team that really beat up on the Browns. So Cliff Kingsbury, obviously we know how the COVID protocols go, but If he doesn't go, uh, if he doesn't get his two negative tests, obviously he can't be on the sidelines against the Texans. But if he is, do do you think there's anything that he could take out of that Browns game that maybe he might do in the future, like delegate play calling or do anything differently since it did seem to go so well? I'm not sure about delegating play calling for it by any means, but I think maybe giving Kyler Murray some extra freedom. And I'm not saying that in the sense that he's, you know, had him change and just doesn't take Kyler Murray's input at all because that's not the case but after the game Kyler even kind of joked about having a little more freedom making those audibles as he's reading the defense so I would think maybe that would be something that maybe that might change moving forward but we heard from all of the coaches that the reason they were able to so seamlessly fill those roles because Cliff Kingsbury is not only the head coach he's the offensive coordinator and he's the play caller so there were a lot of moving parts for this game we heard defensive coordinator Vance Joseph who split 
those head coaching responsibilities. He talked to the media after the game and said the reason it was so seamless is because of how Cliff Kingsbury creates the game plan and throughout, like, works with the coaches throughout the week. So it really wasn't too difficult for them to step in and take over those responsibilities. All right, you mentioned Kyler Murray, so it's year three for him. So far this year, 14 touchdowns, four interceptions, three rushing touchdowns. It seems like he's using his legs less. Do you think that's part of his success this year? And how have they approached using his legs versus using his arm to to get some of those first downs? That's absolutely been intentional. The, the key is to keep your quarterback safe and healthy. And Kyler has the skills to get out of the pocket, to scramble and extend those plays. And they're not trying to take that away from him, but not necessarily have him focus so much on the run game. And they don't really need to this year because you have Chase Edmonds in the backfield as your starter, your shifty running back. But they brought in James Conner this offseason, and that's been their downhill guy to wear out these defenses. So he has his weapons in the backfield, and we know he has plenty of options down the field with DeAndre Hopkins, Christian Kirk, A.J. Green, Rondale Moore. There's plenty of options for Kyler Murray to choose instead of just using his legs. We actually saw that against the Browns. There were a couple plays where Kyler had yards in front of him to take, but instead he waited for the play to carry on, went through his checkdowns, and ended up passing the ball instead. So it's definitely been intentional for this Cardinals offense to not rely on Kyler Murray to use his legs so much this year. Yeah, you mentioned DeAndre Hopkins. Obviously, we've seen the mind-blowing plays that he makes on the field and the touchdown catches. He is second in the NFL with six touchdown catches, but I saw something a few weeks ago where people were talking about his lack of receptions. Is that just a matter of having so many weapons on offense, or is there a concerted effort to get more targets for Hopkins? I think it is just trying to spread the wealth, and I think it's more so... It's, it's really a respect to DeAndre Hopkins because he is one of the best in the league at that position. And so opponents are going to key on him. Of course, they're going to want to double team him. They're going to want to put their best cornerbacks on him. And look, if you leave DeAndre Hopkins one-on-one, it's not even really a 50-50 chance. It's, it's going to go to D-Hop. But by defenses focusing on Hopkins, that's allowing A.J. Green, Christian Kirk, Rondell Moore to get open and make those big plays. And remember, there's going to be new Arizona Cardinal on the field this week and tight end Zach Ertz. So I would expect he's going to get some looks as well. So it's not necessarily that they're not targeting DeAndre Hopkins on purpose. It's just that he's getting so much attention from the opponents that it's leaving these other receivers open. Okay, so you mentioned Zach Ertz. We saw the news recently that that the Arizona Cardinals were going to trade for the Philadelphia Eagle after they lost Max Williams to a knee injury. So what is going on with the timing of that? Why was it so important for them to sign Ertz right now? Was it just a matter of getting another tight end? Was it Ertz that they really wanted? What did they like about him and how he fits into this offense? I think this team is understanding that they are hot and this is you don't want to stop that momentum and Max Williams played such an important role not only as a catching tight end but as a blocker and so that's something that they were looking to replace and Zach Ertz who throughout the league we've kind of known throughout the media he's been wanting out of Philadelphia for the last couple of years and this just seemed like the right fit for him to come to a team that is winning that has an explosive offense and has a role for him to play and you you can't not be excited about Zach Ertz he's been in the league for like what almost a decade pro bowler he won the Super Bowl with the Philadelphia Eagles so I think the Cardinals are really excited to get that skill set of not only a reliable receiving tight end but someone who can really help in the blocking game as well.
All right. So J.J. Watt, we've all seen what he can do here in Houston. And Vance Joseph was actually defensive backs coach here as well a while back. So they've had their familiarity. And now J.J.'s in Arizona. And I saw that he put up his first sack of the year and in Cleveland. There's a lot of buzz about how well Watt is playing for that defense, even though the numbers may not necessarily reflect it. Is he doing anything differently in Arizona than he was on this Texans defense? He was he used to move around a lot on this D-line. So uh, is there anything different that he's doing with the Cardinals, or is it really that same J.J. just moving around on the line? I think it's it's to an extent it's the same JJ. I mean, he's going to be a monster anywhere you put him on the field. But recently when he was talking to us here, the, the media uh, this past week or so, he was explaining that that's because he's really just focused on his job. There are so many playmakers here on this Cardinals defense. He doesn't necessarily have to move around and always be that guy to make the play. And so by just focusing on his job, that's going to a lot of these other defenders, Marcus Golden, Jordan Hicks, who also had multiple sacks last week against the Browns that's going to allow them to get to the quarterback and force fumbles and it's also going to force the opponents to know that they can't just focus on J.J. Watt which of course is going to allow him more leverage to get to the quarterback so it's really just him he was saying he's just focused on his job but he is coming off back-to-back amazing games the 49ers and the Browns last week and that's just because he's getting comfortable in this scheme he wasn't participating throughout training camp so of course it's going to take a little time to get used to things but he is really picking up steam here and he's had great games and that's not always based upon the sack numbers he had a strip sack and so that was recovered by the Cardinals and they put up seven points on the following drive it's so much more than just those sack numbers but J.J. Watt has absolutely had a phenomenal last two weeks and they expect him to just continue to trend upwards yeah we thought that one of the beneficiaries of J.J. Watt being there would be Chandler Jones and in that first game he had five sacks against Tennessee but he hasn't really put up the same sack number since now I know he's on the COVID list, or he was on the COVID list. But, you know, how has J.J. Watt's presence affected Chandler Jones and some of the other playmakers on that defense? I think when you have a veteran who is as respected and has been so successful at their position as you do with J.J. Watt, the other players are going to take notice. They're going to look at his work ethic on the practice field and how he's taking care of his body and focused in meetings and what he does in the games and how he's motivating other people in that leadership role. And that's huge in the locker room. And so I think that when you have someone with J.J. Watt's experience and his leadership and the way that he focuses on the game and takes every snap so seriously and is so intense his play it's it's infectious and so the other players are definitely going to pick up on that and and step their game up all right Danny I wanted to ask you about the Cardinals schedule seems like they're playing really well on the road and their home games even though they've won them have been a lot closer what do they make of that I think this team is really just what they say of being focused 1-0 and every week, regardless of where they're playing. They are 6-0, and which is the first time this franchise has started 6-0 since 1974. So it's really taking a lot mentally for this team, regardless of who or where they are playing, to not get swept up in that. Being undefeated is not the end goal, and this team will tell you that. So it's really starting to get to the point of the season where mentally it's really tough of you have to stay focused of not getting caught up in the fact that you're undefeated and you're beating the these teams, these good teams. I think that's something maybe the national media is kind of missing in their coverage with the Cardinals. But 
that's what they're focused on. Not necessarily whether they're on the road or at home, but just that one and oh mentality every week. Now they do get to be back at State Farm Stadium. They have been on the road a lot so far this year. So they've got a two game homestand. They've got the Texans and then Thursday night football against the Packers. So they're excited to be home and be around their fans, uh, but they're still having to really stay focused mentally on just one and oh every week because you don't want to get caught up in the confidence or, you know, the, the attention from the media of being undefeated. What are they making of this Texans team coming out to face them at home? Obviously, the record is not where the Texans want it to be, but 6-0 and team facing the Texans who um, have only won one game this year. How are they sort of viewing this matchup? I think it just goes back to the last question about this being really tough mentally of any team. It doesn't matter what the record is, the team you're facing. Anything can happen in the NFL. Every player, every team is a good team at this point in their career. So it's about staying mentally focused. And again, not comparing the fact you're going into a game as an undefeated Cardinals team going up against a one in five Texans team that's been struggling. You know, the Cardinals are not going to want to play down to anyone by any means. Uh, they're just going to want to stay focused and, and just try and get this win and then move on to Green Bay. It's going to be a, a very quick week here in Arizona. All right, great stuff there from DP and from Danny about these Arizona Cardinals. All right, when we get back, it's in the lab. Drew Doherty and myself sit down and wax nostalgic about a former Texan a man we got to know very, very well and respected more than just about anybody that's walked in that building, and that's Whitney Merciless. In the lab, next, right here on Texans All Access. 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 Welcome back to this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. It's time for a little bit of a snippet of our discussion of In the Lab. That's Drew Doherty and myself. And this week, well, we waxed nostalgic, if you will, about one Whitney Merciless. But before we get into our interview with Whitney Merciless, I just want to remind you that this season, Mattress Firm is giving away two tickets, custom jerseys, Tarasco's Club passes, and parking to two lucky fans each week. Visit HoustonTexans.com slash DreamBigExperience to enter to win. We're going to tell a couple fun stories about Whitney because he's been here a decade, you know, and aside from John Weeks, he was the longest tenured Texan here this season. So John Weeks remains and John Weeks put out a nice Instagram post showing the two of them walking out to midfield and talked about how he's family and Whitney himself put up a nice thank you post to Houston and the, the McNair family and the Texans organization. He is moving on, but I'm going to tell two stories and I'll get out of the way, or I'm going to tell one story and then you tell one story and then I'll tell another and then I'll get out of the yeah. way. But in 2010, 11, 12, and 13, I was at the airport the Friday morning of the draft. So Texans would have a first rounder on Thursday night. They'd fly him into town on Friday morning with his family. And they'd basically show him around the building. He'd have a press conference. He'd meet with the front office folks, his coaches, the equipment people, kind of a whirlwind day for the guy. And when I was there doing that back in those days, it was me and a guy named Sean Washington, who I don't know exactly what he did, but he did just about everything and did it well. Yeah. And uh, it was the two of us, and we would ride in the limo to Intercontinental Airport. And I had a camera and a microphone, and he had some other stuff, like some hats and stuff for the family and some newspaper article. When the family and, and the player would come out of the secure area, we were there to meet him. And I'd, he'd introduce himself, and then I'd say, hi, I'm Drew. It's good to meet you. 
uh, we, we're going to put this microphone on you and we're going to record your experiences. So did that with Kareem Jackson, did that with JJ Watt, did it with Whitney Merciless, did it with DeAndre Hopkins. And it was pretty fun. And it was fun seeing the Merciless family, his parents, his brother go through what they went through. And I was in the limo ride from the airport here and he's just a, a great dude and coming out. You remember this at Illinois, his final year there, he led the NCAA in sacks and yeah. in forced fumbles. This was a bona fide pass rusher. And they're adding to that 2011 defense. You thought and making it even better for 2012. And he didn't play a whole lot in 12, but in spurts, he did some nice things. I think he had three sacks. And, you know, it was just a cool thing to be a part and see that that first day, that wonder, because I'm sure their heads are spinning or were spinning yeah. at the time. And yeah. they're going to a new place. and They're excited. And he was excited to be here. And he he knew that the Texans were winning at that point and had high expectations. And he was he was pumped to be a part of it. So that's one of the first things I thought of when I saw the news. and. I was bummed and bummed for him on a personal. I, I understand football wise why it's all going down, but they, he's a good good dude, and I had a lot of fun times with interviewing him and, and being around him over the years. I'll tell another one in a little bit, but you know, what's the first thing you thought of when you saw what was going down with Merciless? Well, the first emotion is just sad because he, when like you said, when he showed up from the time he showed up in 2012 through now and hopefully this extends for decades and decades he became houston he really became a renaissance man of houston creating a restaurant concept um with um his restaurant entrepreneurs um chris shepherd for one charities of them. yeah chris shepherd um a great fan of the texans the things that he did for houston just take take the football we'll talk about the football but the fo the football thing aside, just what he did for Houston, what he did for families. Um, I know his charity, he focused his charity at different points on different um, uh, different sort of other charitable endeavors kind of within it, kind of like he was doing with his restaurant concept where yeah, they he had mixed like it up. five he, different things. Yeah, He would mix it up. And one of those um, that he did, he focused on, on uh, kids with autism. And obviously that strikes, you know, pretty close to, to my heart. And I just, you know, everything he did just reeked of such professionalism, such love for the city, such love for people. And that was probably the first thing that, that hit me. Now, I did see earlier today, I believe, that Whitney apparently will sign with the Green Bay Packers. Now, for those of you who don't know, I was born in Wisconsin. I lived there until I was 11. And then I got to Houston and Texas as fast as I, as I could. And to me, I'm, I'm a Texan. But if I am a fan of another football team outside of the Texans, whenever we don't play the Green Bay Packers, I'm cheering for the Green Bay Packers. So Witt goes to a team that I hope gets an opportunity to do some good things, play in some big games, and get some big wins. Witt deserves that and uh, wish him the best of luck in Green Bay if that is in fact. I believe that's where he is going to go. Tip of the cap to one of the very best to wear a Texans jersey, Whitney Merciless. All right, we get back. We're going to go men behind the mics. Dave Pash, the voice of the Cardinals, with our good friend Mark Vandermeer next on Texans All Access. We've got one hour in the books, one hour left to go right here on a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. There's a lot of alliteration there. Kind of like Wednesday. Where, when, what, Wednesday, wacky, wild, all those kind of things work. I don't think I'm any of those. 
maybe wild. I don't know. Who's to say? But I'm John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. So glad to be with you. And it's time to go to our men behind the mics. This segment was my brainchild many, many years ago. And Mark Vandermeer has made it work every single week since. I don't know that we did it back in 2017. I think we did. I think we've done this all the way back to 2015, 2016. So we have talked with Dave Pash, but it's been four years. Mark catches up with Dave Pash again four years later, and, well, things are quite different in Arizona, to say the least. Here's Mark Vandermeer with Dave Pash, the voice of the Cardinals. Joining us right now on Texans Radio, Dave Pash, the voice of the Arizona Cardinals. And, Dave, just three short years ago, you had a 3-13 and record. The team drafts Kyler Murray. The rest is history. Not so much, not so fast, really. But tell me about this rebuild. Obviously, it's going well right now at 6-0. and yeah, Mark, good to talk to you, man. First of all, it, it does feel like that never happened that year. That three-win season, Steve Wilkes, the head coach, Josh Rosen and Sam Bradford were the quarterback. Sam Bradford started the year, and then they inserted Rosen, who was their first-round pick. And then, you know, they just did a complete wash the following year and drafted another quarterback for the second straight year and hired a coach that had been a head coach but not in the NFL. And, you know, it took some time, uh, but I think the team that Steve Kine, the GM, has assembled, the, the personnel surrounding Kyler Murray uh, and the leadership surrounding him has put him in the best position to succeed. And, you know, there's, there's times, I mean, I remember when the Cardinals last started, uh, when they started 4-0 and they got their fourth win, it was the first time since 2012. And that team finished 5-11. and 11. And you, you remember <laughs> when that team started 4-0, like you knew they weren't good. They got lucky. and But this team's different. You know, a win at Tennessee, a win at Cleveland, a win at the Rams, home against the Niners. I mean, they've got some quality wins and some convincing wins. So it feels a lot different right now. Well, let, take me through the Murray decision because, look, it's working out very well, but there's so much uncertainty when you draft a guy high. You just had Rosen selected by the franchise, and then they go for Murray, who has a unique skill set. It's outstanding, obviously, and again, it's working out, but what was the feeling around the organization and around the city when they went for that pick? Well, I, I think because the, the previous year was so bad, that people were fine with it. You know, it wasn't like there were a lot of people questioning why you would take a quarterback again. You know, Josh Rosen played okay, but it wasn't like he lit it up and you were convinced that he was the guy. Um, in fact, you know, there probably were some people that said, oh, you should tra- take Nick Bosa and build around Josh Rosen. But I think when they watched the film, they saw what, you know, we're seeing now, that Kyler Murray is just different. He's so unique. He's a special talent. And it's, you know, he's a once in a lifetime player. So you got to pull the trigger and you live with it. And, you know, the, the other moves that they've made, you know, it, it's one thing to draft a guy and then not to compliment him with talent and give him a good offensive line. You know, the trade for Rodney Hudson, although he's out right now, the trade for DeAndre Hopkins, the signing of, you know, JJ Watt, obviously you're familiar with both those guys, those, you know, those go a long way to help a quarterback have success. All right. As a play-by-play guy, I have to tell you this about Hopkins. There were many occasions where I couldn't believe he caught the ball, where it would be on the sideline, and it seems like his body is two yards out of bounds, and uh, there's no way he got that one. 
And, oh, my gosh, they're going to rule it a catch. Well, let's look at it. Oh, yeah, the toes got down. He had maybe one of those a game, it felt like, when he was here and I was calling the games. How do you see his abilities from the booth, doing what you do and his craft? Oh, yeah, exactly the same way. First of all, I just can't get over how big his hands are. He mm-hmm. looks like he's holding, like, two buckets. He's got just enormous hands. Um, he's had a couple catches, you know, the, the Hail Mary last year, but some other plays where how, how did he catch that ball? Like, how on earth did he get his feet down and catch the ball? He had a touchdown last week where he spun away from three guys. I mean, he just – to me, he's the best receiver in the NFL, and he's been that for several years. And he, he just does things that most guys can't. And then, you know, you couple – him now with you know there was a lot of attention with him last year Mm -hmm. but now you get aj green christian kirk's playing better rondale moore is a big piece now you add zach Ertz. it's just you can't worry solely about deandre hopkins like you could last year and they're moving him around a little bit more than they did last year too but he's flat out amazing Dave Pash, voice of the Arizona Cardinals, joining us on Texans Radio. All right, we all saw the Watt sack with Mayfield getting hurt on the play last week, but how is Watt doing in general, in your opinion? I know he does a lot of things that don't really show up on the stat sheet very often. Right. Yeah. Yeah, last week, though, from a production standpoint, was his best game. The week prior to that was his best game. So, he, you know, he's kind of stacking his best games as a Cardinal on top of each other. So he's getting better each week. Uh, he's been a menace. He's been a force. You know, they have not had Chandler Jones the last few games. They've had some other guys hurt. And then with all the COVID stuff last week, you know, it it obviously impacted the offense without Cliff Kingsbury and others. But, you know, there were some players on defense that were not available because of COVID, including Corey Peters. And they didn't even know that until game day. And he's part of the rotation. You know, they're not playing J.J. Watt probably as much as he played in Houston. But, you know, his leadership, like, you know, last year, the Cardinals a lot of times played down to their opponent, and I've never felt that that's, you know, really on the coach. It's more on the locker room. Mm-hmm. And you've got a group right now, and J.J. Watt's a big reason why, you know, this – they're not going to let you have a, a letdown. They're not going to allow that. And that's something that wasn't here last year. And so J.J. Watt's a big reason why the Cardinals are where they are right now because of his leadership. Tell me something about Kingsbury, because when the story broke after he was hired about he's going to give players cell phone breaks during meetings, it seemed preposterous almost at the time. And then I look back on that now, I think that's just a really great idea. And the attention spans being what they are, mine included, I think it's a phenomenal idea. Tell me about that aspect of him, the way he can appeal to the players and and live with their vibe. Well, two things about Cliff. First of all, I, I don't know that I've ever seen anybody that works harder. This guy is in there at like 3.30, 3.45 in the morning. Steve Kime told me a story uh, that he couldn't sleep. This was after, I think, the Rams game. Couldn't sleep, went to the office at 3.30, and Cliff's car is there. And Cliff's in his office. You know, he, he goes to bed early, gets up early, and grinds. So, you know, there was – and I knew Cliff from college, having covered him at Texas Tech and A&M and even going back to Houston a little bit. And look, he's, you know, he deserves some credit for the development of Patrick Mahomes and Baker Mayfield and Case Keenum. I mean, the the quarterback, the three quarterbacks that were in the game last week, you know, he's touched all of them. Mm -hmm. Um, So, 
I've always felt Cliff from a just, you know, knowing the quarterback position and knowing offense, you know, the guy is brilliant. And then when it comes to just his personality, he, he does have a little bit of an edge to him that I think is coming out more and his personality is coming out more, which is great because he's got a great personality. He's a great guy. And I think players know that. Like, they know with him, you're, what you see is what you get. He's not going to tell you something and then do something different behind the scenes. He is who he is. And that, that goes a long way, especially with veteran players. And, and they have a veteran team. So when you bring in J.J. Watt and A.J. Green and you've got other guys on this team that are over the age of 30, you know, when you've got a head coach like that, 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 that makes a big difference when there is a trust factor there. And then, you know, he relates to young guys. He's been recruiting. He's used to recruiting. He's used to, you know, being able to relate to those guys. So um, it's, you know, I, I'm just, I'm happy for him that things are working out this year because I felt some of the criticism last year, you know, was not warranted. Well, we were kind of teasing David Cully about not having Kingsbury's house, you know, not having the gigantic glass windows and the fireplace roaring and, you know, the the wardrobe and everything. He said, yeah, absolutely, I don't have that. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know if you does. do. Okay. No, no, nobody. I've never seen a house like that. Never. <laughs> that was awesome. Uh, Dave, tell me something about the Cardinals that's not getting a lot of pub outside of Phoenix, say a player or two or an aspect of the team that you feel is not getting the recognition it needs right now. Well, I think their defense is really good. Vance Joseph's done a great job. That's probably one. You know, I think Vance will get another chance to be a head coach if the Cardinals keep winning. The other is Colt McCoy. Mm. Uh, you know, Kyler Murray looked up to him, idolized him growing up. And so the move of bringing Colt was a calculated move to provide another voice and another person that Kyler respects. And I think Colt just has a way about him when he speaks to Kyler. I mean, he was involved in, you know, last week with some of, you know, everything that was going on in terms of the operation without Cliff Kingsbury and without, you know, the quarterback coach. You know, he, he was involved. He was talking to Kyler a lot more. Not that he didn't before, but it just felt like it was more than usual just kind of watching what was going on. So I, I would say those two things, Mark, the defense and you know Colt McCoy and his importance to the team. All right, Dave, you're going to call Ohio State and Indiana for ESPN or ABC really this week, ESPN on ABC. But tell me about being a national guy, doing those big-time college games and everything else you do for ESPN and then being the voice of the Cardinals. And it's got to feel so different when you're the home team guy, but you're also a national guy, and you have to shift gears into that. What's that like for you? Well, as you know, Mark, the, one of the best things about doing a team is you, you get to be a fan. You get to, you know, be a part of it. You get to, you know, feel good when there's a win and, you know, have it hurt a little bit when there's a loss and when you go through a tough season. Uh but you get the thrill of, I mean, I just remember the Super Bowl run of what that felt like. I'll never forget it. And I love my job at ESPN. I, you know, I love every game I get, every assignment I don't take for granted. But there definitely is a difference when you're doing a game where you feel like there's something on the line for you a little bit. And I'm sure that comes out when you broadcast the game. Uh, you know, you and I, we're the, we're the conduit to, to the fan that's listening. And, you know, they want to feel our joy and experience our pain as well. And so I kind of, I, I just, I kind of, it's me. When I'm calling that game, it's it's me. Mm -hmm. You know, and then when you do a national game, obviously you're being unbiased. And TV, as you know, is a lot different. You're doing more storytelling. It's probably mm -hmm. more of an analyst medium than play-by-play -play where, you know, you and I are doing most of the talking. 
But, you know, TV, your, your analyst is involved more and, you know, you have broadcast elements, you have graphics, all these things you have to get in, a lot of big picture stuff, you know, promos, all that, where with, you know, the, the radio, you're, you're just doing the game and, and it's really about your team. So it is very different, but I mean, man, it's been my 18th year, ESPN 20 with the Cardinals. So it's, you know, I've been doing it so long. I just. I guess I just kind of default uh, to to either one. It's not I don't really think about which one I'm doing. I just kind of I guess I'm so used to it, just you know your routine and instincts just kind of take over. Well, you do a fantastic job, my friend, and it's great to talk with you. Look forward to seeing you in the booth on Sunday. Yeah, Mark. Anytime, man. Look forward to seeing you, bud. I do a lot of work for my role as a silent reporter for the team, and I do one game a weekend, and I'm pretty much exhausted at the end of it. Dave Pash does play by play for college on Saturday, and then NFL on Sunday. I don't know how the man does it, but he is one of my favorite to listen to. Obviously, Mark is my favorite, no doubt, um, because he is such a close friend. He's my boss. Uh, I also work with him, so I love him to death. But Dave Pash is one of my favorites to listen to, so really, really cool to see the two of them and hear the two of them on our air together. All right, it is a Where Are They Now Wednesday. So Drew Doherty had a chance to catch up with a former linebacker of the Texans, former Wildcat from Kansas State, Zach Dials. They're next right here at Texans All Access. Texans All Access. Texans All Access. Welcome back to this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, and I got here in 2007. That's when I started with a new radio station, started a show with a guy I think you know, Sean Pendergast. We did that show for four years. It was very, very successful. Then we sort of moved on into different phases, and we are where we are. But in 2007... The Texans also drafted a young man by the name of Zach Dials. And Drew Doherty had a chance to catch up with the former Texans linebacker on a Wednesday. Where are they now? Drew, take it away. We got a good one today for a where are they now? Because Zach Dials, a linebacker for the Houston Texans from 2007 through 2010, and then again in 2014, you spent basically a decade in the NFL, and we are happy to talk with you now. First things first, Zach where are you and what are you doing? Well, I appreciate that intro. That, yep. was, that was dope. First things first, so where am I now? I live in Los Angeles. I came back to California where I'm from and I started doing uh, real estate out here originally when I moved back to Los Angeles. Recently, there have been a little, a few changes. I have a new job. I transitioned into a, a role at WME, William Morris Endeavor on the sports side and on the football side of things. So uh, I'm very, very excited about that and getting started at that. But it's been a lot going on, man. It's been a lot going on since since, since I've uh, since the playing days. Holy cow, that's a big. So you're gonna become an agent, basically, is what you're saying, or you are that's, an agent? Yeah, well, that's that's, wow. that's 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 the thing right now. I'm director of player development. Uh, essentially, the, the the goal is to become certified as an agent next year and hit the hit the ground running and you know pass down some of this knowledge that I've attained over the the course of uh, my playing career and you know on and off the field. So I'm looking forward to uh, to getting started in that. Yeah, I mean, you're the perfect guy to do that because you've seen both sides of it now. You're a seventh-round pick in 2007, and if you look at the the numbers, the odds are always stacked against guys drafted in the seventh round, less so in the sixth and less so in the fifth. But, you know, it's tough as a seventh-rounder. Yet You were there, and you made the team. You started games. You played and hung around for a long, long time. I imagine that's got to fuel a lot of what you do, and there's a lot of stuff you can – you know, a lot of wisdom you can impart on these guys when uh, when you're talking with them about that, right? 
exactly. Like you said, seventh round, played eight years. And by year two in Houston, I was a starter. And, you know, at that time when I was in Houston, I believe I was the, the lowest round, uh, lowest pick guy to ever make the, the roster, you know, out of training camp. So, and like I said, in, in year two, be a starter. And then, you know, eight weeks into the season, I break my leg. So I've been through every facet of the NFL, you know, the highs, the lows, the you know, just the, the grind of it all, you know, coming in essentially from, you know, just had my foot stuck in the door before they shut it and, you know, made my way in there. And like I said, was able to carve out eight years. So um, being able to impart that type of knowledge, seeing every, you know, I was in Houston four years. And then after that, I, I think I played for every team in the NFL. So, you know, I was like, like, what just happened? You know, what I mean? like I was a, I was a three-year starter and now I'm, I played on three different teams in my fifth year. You know what I mean? So just seeing that, that the, the roller coaster of emotions and dealing with everyday life in the NFL is something, you know, I'm, I'm I feel like I, I can impart on the next generation. So yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be vital. Did it feel like everything it just went that quickly when you were in the league or, or did it seem slower? Because you, you saying that it feels like it was so quick. I mean, just so fast that, yeah, no, it's a blur, man. It's it, everything happens so fast. You got to think because everything is so fast moving up there. Every, you know, it's, it's not, there's never a dull moment, you know what I mean? And everything is calculated. Um, the accountability factor that you have to, to have, you know, in that kind of profession, you know, every day is a journey. Tell people, you know, essentially every day you wake up and, and your feet hit the ground, you have to essentially be perfect where you go, what you say, how you dress, what you, you know what I mean? Because you're not yeah. only representing yourself, you're representing your team. And, and, and your family, you know what I mean? So there's there's so many different factors about what you have to do on a daily basis to be successful at that level. So, um, and a lot of, not a lot of guys have that information going in, and, but it, it, it goes by fast though. Okay, we got quite a bit more about your football journey to discuss, but first we got to get into this. Okay, you've mentioned, obviously you played in the league for eight years. You were a real estate agent as well, and now you're transitioning. You're, you're going to probably be a player agent in a little bit. But when I'm doing research, you type Zach Dials into the old Google engine. One of the first things that comes up is real estate agent and ladies man. Uh huh. And you've been on a reality TV show. Now that's that's a first for this program. Tell us about that experience because I know that must have been something interesting for you, right? What was the deal? Man, it was wild. I, I I always enjoyed doing new things, right? And that opportunity kind of fell into my lap. When I started doing real estate, I worked for this company, uh, transitioned over to his company called Agents of LA. And when I got there, my broker, you know, he came to me. He was really good friends with a lot of, you know, TV personality with VH1, like Ray J. Our offices were actually in Ray J's dad's studio. Oh, wow. You know I mean? So he was really good friends with them. And one day he came to me, he was like, hey, I have this idea for this television show. You know, with your background, your eight-year NFL vet, you're good looking, this, that, and third. He's like, what do you think? And, you know, I was like, all right, cool. Well, let's see what happens. And the next thing you know, it just started growing legs. And now VH1 is, and now we're casting people. And I'm like, oh, this is real. Like, this is happening. Like, okay. And and so the process of just just being on TV, being on, you know, that network. And it was it was, it was was a lot to learn. You know what I mean? You know, and it's, sure. it's, it was for me, it, it was kind of more natural. You know what I mean? Because I'm not... I wasn't quite as nervous having a camera in front of my face because that was pretty natural to me. You know what I mean? So, but it's just learning like the, the nuances of how they, you know, storylines develop and things like that. But it was, um, <laughs> you know what I mean? It was, it was, it was a learning process <laughs> to say the least. So I enjoyed it though for what it was. We did two seasons and, uh, and yeah. And, and, you know, it's yeah. VH1 love and listens. 
Roman listings. Now, is that it for you, reality TV-wise, entertainment-wise, or might you still kind of dabble in that down the line or, or even do more? You know, with my new job, it's kind of more, it's, it's it's not more so about me any longer. You know what I mean? Yeah. With that, it was, you know, being a realtor and, you know, trying to, you know, market yourself. You know, the more people that know what you do, the better. You know, you see the million-dollar listings and, and things like that, how it was able to catapult, you know, the careers of those guys on that TV show. You know, so with ours, you know, with our skew trying to do the same thing just really didn't, it was, it was awful to say the least, but I mean, it was a great experience, but going forward, you know, with the new profession, I'm just, I'm, 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 I'm good with that. You know, it was a great experience. You know, I was able to, I'm able to now bring that into my new profession as well. And guys want to get into entertainment and television movies. I'm like, oh, I did that too. <laughs> like, I, you, know, I, you know what I mean? I own a, I own a hat company. You know, they be on TV. So it's just like the transition has been, it's been, I'm blessed, man. I can't even complain. It's awesome. That's really cool. All right. Let's rewind. Let's go all the way back. Okay. Grew up in California. You do mm-hmm. two years in junior college, which yep. that's, I mean, that's an accomplishment, accomplishment in itself to, to go from junior college to a, an NCAA program. We've heard Jonathan Joseph did the same thing. And he talked about, if I, if you can go through and make it out of a junior college and make it into a college program, you already are a survivor and you're a fighter and you are, you've accomplished something. What do you, what do you have to say when you look back at those JUCO days? You know what? It's crazy. My, one day we were sitting in the, in the locker room at JUCO and our coach, coach, uh, coach C, Tony Caviglia came in there. He was like, you know, this is going to be the most fun you guys ever had playing football. You know, we're, you know I'm 18 and you're looking at him like, dog, we're in JUCO sitting in a, in a room this is our weight room and, and it's the size of the room I grew up in in my, you know what I mean? I'm like, and you're, you're sitting there and you don't really see the vision. You know, you're not on scholarship, you're driving buses everywhere, but at the same time, everybody at that level is hungry trying to get somewhere else. And talented. You know what I mean? And talented. We had, you know, we had a bounce back from Oklahoma, you know, Oregon state, our, my whole entire offensive lineman was six, six, 300 pound Hawaiians. You know what I mean? Like yeah. all went to Oregon and Utah. So I was, I was surrounded by, you know, a plethora of talent, you know what I mean? And the crazy thing about that whole situation is I was, I committed to Utah, bro. Like I was supposed to go to Utah, Urban Meyer, you know what I mean? I, I was, I was going to go there. And then he got that job in Florida and literally dog, when I tell you the new staff that Utah came in, they pulled my scholarship the day before signing day. That's right. Like I'm first team on everything Juco. The new staff comes in. They're like, Oh, we want our own. And literally pulled my scholarship the day before signing day. So I sat in Fresno for two months, not knowing what I was going to do. I was working at a place called John's Incredible Pizza, making balloon animals for, for kids' birthday parties. And, you know what I mean? Son so, of a gun, really? Yeah, man. It was, it was, you know, my brother went to Fresno State at the time. Mm-hmm. And so I lived with him, you know, and, and watching him go to spring football every day. And I'm just sitting at the house trying to figure out what just happened. And then, you know, blessing, you know, lo and behold, Kansas State came and offered a scholarship and, and, and the rest is history. So, you know, like I said, um, it, it, it's a journey, bro. Like the yeah. journey has been crazy. <laughs> what did your time in Manhattan, Kansas help you with and, and open your eyes to while you were there? What, what was that like? Just making it easier to be away from home. And like I said, you know, yeah. I'm from California, went to school, school in Kansas which was a culture shock for me, you know, where I'm from in Cali, it doesn't get cold. It doesn't snow. You know what I mean? And now I'm in Manhattan, Kansas. And all I brought with me was hoodies. So I'm, yeah. I'm thinking, you know what I mean? And I'm out there freezing, like, like, okay, there's learning how to drive in the snow and just acclimating yourself to different, you know, circumstances and things like that. It's and a then, rural, it's a rural area. I mean, it's a town, area. but it's, it's surrounded by farmland and farmers, right? 
Yeah, there's nothing there. Like, yeah. there's, you're 10 miles off the nearest freeway as well. Like, you get off and it's Bill Snyder Family Freeway or whatever, and you're like, we're 10 <laughs> miles off the, the, the main road. So, and then, I, you know, I went through two coaching staffs, you know, I had Bill Snyder my junior year and then Ron Prince my senior year. So it was like the tale of two different worlds, you know, being out there the, 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 in my time. It was it was wild. It was wild. Okay, tell, tell me about April 2007. Draft is coming up. What'd you think? I mean, did you think, hey, I'm, I'm definitely going to get picked? Was it kind of like, I hope I get picked? Were you surprised? What was that like for you? Man, bro, I had no idea. Like, when I, I didn't even know I was um, on, like, draft radars. Because, you know, my junior year at K-State, I didn't start. I played a lot, but I didn't mm-hmm. start, right? So I was like this unknown guy going into my senior year. Senior year, I start every game, I do well, and, and you know, mid-year through my senior year, that's when you know, you know, starting picking up those that buzz or whatever. And it was like, oh well, I, you know, okay, interesting. You know, agents are reaching out, and I'm like, okay, interesting. You know, I just took it day by day, and uh, when the draft came, like I, I honestly, I honestly thought I was gonna go to uh, Seattle just because you, you had talked with them or what. Yeah, I took visits there. I spoke with them a few times. But then, you know, the sixth round came, and they picked two linebackers back-to-back. They picked Corey Hall and Desmond – um, no, actually Green Bay. This was Green Bay. Green Bay. Uh, I was on the phone. Green Bay was like, sixth round, and we're going to pick that at the dime. I'm like, all right, cool. Sixth round comes. They took Corey Hall and Desmond Bishop back-to-back. Oh, man. So I'm like, oh, okay. They literally had back-to-back picks in that round. It took Corey Hall and Desmond, two linebackers. I was like, all right, well, and so – the seventh round comes. I had I had never spoke to Houston. I didn't need, at that time. Honestly, I was like Houston Texans. You know, there was there were new. They were like five years in at that time. Right. You know, I was I'm at my friend's house. I'm you know seventh round is there. I'm kind of discouraged now at this point because I sat there and watched the entire day, like four, four and a half hours. Because it was back when it was Saturday and Sunday, right? Yeah. That was yeah. Yep. It was just two days on the draft. Yeah. Yep. And then like my phone rings. It's an eight three two number. So I I answer it. And it's it's just one of the secretaries. I'm like, hey Zach, this da 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 da. And then and then all of a sudden, at the same time, my agent was calling me. So I hung up. Oh. I hung up and I clicked over to my agent. So I'm talking to my agent. And at the same time, my best friend is tapping me on my shoulder. I'm like, and I, I, I'm like, what? He's like, look at the TV. I look up at the TV and I see my name go across like Zach Dials, round seven, pick two eighteen, Houston Texans. And my agent's like, congrats, buddy. I was like, wait, 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 wait. I was like, did I just get dressed? I was like, yo, I just hung up on them. You know what I mean? I was like, oh no. I'm panicking. I was like, are they still gonna want me? Like, what what's gonna happen? I just hung up on them. You know what I mean? It was it was so much going on at that time. But uh, but yeah, it was um, it was a blessing, man. It was a blessing. Do you remember the conversation when you did get back on the phone with the Texans? Not really. Not no. not too, not too really. I, I think it maybe was Rick Smith that was on the phone. Head was I'm just not, swirling, basically. Yeah, I'm not sure if I talked to Coob, but. I, the, the dopest thing about that, though, was like a week later, I'm back in Manhattan. You know, the draft is done. And that's when they had just signed Matt Schaub. And so I'm in Kansas. You know, I'm sitting on the balcony. I'm on the balcony of my, my, my apartment in Kansas. And I got some of my teammates in there. And all of a sudden, my phone ringing. It's Matt Schaub. Huh. Matt Schaub calling me. You know, he's like, hey, this is Matt Schaub. Just wanted to say congratulations, man. Looking forward to it. I'm, I'm in my apartment looking at my boys. I'm like, this is Matt Schaub. <laughs> I was like, I don't even know how he knows me. So I thought that was dope, man. Like Matt, Matt picked up the phone and gave me a call after the draft. So that was, I thought that was cool. Yeah, it didn't end well here for him, but I think yeah. it's important. It's good that you brought that up because obviously I don't know as much as you guys because y'all are in the locker room. But I noticed, and I remember during the lockout, 
he was very upfront about organizing and keeping guys together and keeping keeping guys working out. I know he always had parties and he hosted those yeah. at his house. He was a pretty good leader in the locker room, and, and I, that, that's, that says a lot. He calls a seventh-round rookie on the defensive side of the ball to welcome him there, and, and he just got into the to town himself, right? Yeah, no, Ocho's my guy, man. That's a uh, – like, Matt, like you said, he he always had the functions at his house. He was really good about, you know, bringing guys over and, and just fellowshipping, you know what I mean? Sure. And, you know, we'd be out in his yard having dunk contests and all type of things, <laughs> having barbecue. I mean, yeah, Matt, bro, like, I don't like – Matt's solid, bro. Like, I don't know – yeah. I ain't, I'm not going to say it, Matt. Solid. Can't argue with the 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 seasons he had. I mean, he was really, really good uh, yeah, during those years. Yeah. Especially like, I mean, I got to, I witnessed, I got to witness some good football from Matt. So I'm, I'm, you know, he took us, like, especially that 2009 year. That, that was fun. You know what I mean? That was probably one of my favorite years playing football, like for real. I want to get into that in a second, but what was it like when you finally do get to Houston for the first time for rookie minicamp? I mean, it's a blur, you know, because again, you're, you're, you're trying to just figure it out. You know what I mean? I'm coming from, you know, I'm a, a starter in college and now I'm a seventh round pick. So now my, you know, I'm not, and I'm backing up D'Amico Ryans. I'm not going <laughs> to he's the rookie of the year. Okay. So I'm not going to start. Got it. So how do I make this team? Joe Marciano, what's up, baby? Like, you know what I mean? Like, Special yo, teams yo, coordinator. You know, right? yeah. like, like, Joe, I'm going to be in your hip pocket all day, every day. You know what I mean? If you need a rep, I got it. Like, hey, I, here, I got you. And that's kind of how, you know, I made my, my mark my rookie year, you know, as well as, you know, whenever they threw me in, you know, defensively knowing, just making sure I knew what I had to do, but I knew my mark was going to be making it on special teams because I'm not dethroning a D'Amico Ryans or I wouldn't even, you know, claim, you know what I mean? So, yeah. So it, it was just a lot of that. And then, you know, just uh, the learning, learning like, yo, your feelings really, I remember on my birthday, on my birthday, bro. What's your birthday? Remember, what day? On my on my twenty on my twenty second birthday, the, my rookie year. What's your birthday, birthday? What is your birthday? June eleventh. June eleventh. Okay, so yeah. it's OTAs. Oh so yeah, this is the my my this is the very last day of OTAs, right? <laughs> and so, mind you, Amobi is birth his birthday is June tenth, and he was the first round pick. That He's the first, same draft just, as you. Yeah, yeah, I had no idea Amobi's birthday was the day before mine. So we're we're literally the last day of OTAs, and you know, rookie year, and you know, I. I I'd been doing some decent things, right? So cool calls us up and he's like, Hey, you know, he's going through this, his, his talk. And he's like, you know, we have this young guy, you know, he's doing really good. Da, 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 da. And it's his, you know, it's his birthday, this, that, and the third. So I'm thinking he's talking about me. Right. And he was like, you know, I'm gonna let him break it down. So when he said that I stand up, like I stood up. And when I tell you cool, looked me dead into my soul. It was like, Zach, what the are you doing? I'm like, I'm like, what do you like? What do you mean? Like, today's my birthday. Like, today is my birthday. He was like, oh, I didn't even know that. I was talking about a Moby, but both of you guys can break it down. I was like, oh, <laughs> no. Oh, no. Like, not in front of everybody. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, damn. Like, you know what I mean? It's just like, all right, cool. You don't even, you don't even know me. That's what's up. <laughs> so it was just those moments where you're realizing where you are in the totem pole. And you're like, oh, okay. Got it. Cool. You know, you just keep going. You just keep going, man. It's like, all right, you know, that's that, that was that was an interesting day for me, but on my actual birthday. But you know, what I mean, it's just those lessons and those those things that you learn. I'm like, all right, there's 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 levels to this. Yeah, like, I get it. Okay, Moby's the first round, seventh round. It's all right. There's levels to this. I get it. Whatever it is, what it is, and you just keep going, man. So, so Zach, yeah. this is remarkable because 
I did this interview a couple of weeks back with another seventh rounder, the guy who was taken the year before you yeah. in David Anderson in 2006, seventh rounder. He has almost an exact same story about his birthday, except I think it was D'Amico Ryan's and somebody else shared the birthday and he got, he got up like twice and he was like the third guy and nobody else realized it was his birthday. This is, I'm going to, I'll find it and send it to you when we, when we finish this up. And, uh, yeah. I think you'll have a giggle at this. So yeah. just know <laughs> you weren't alone and you're not alone in that, uh, going through that birthday shenanigans here. That's tough. So, uh, you obviously you, you're doing well, like you talk about there in that first spring and you obviously did something great in August and July, you know, a month or so later and you make the team. Yeah. What was that like when you found out? Because I can't imagine like you were, Hey, I know I'm making that. I mean, I, there had to be some quite a bit of doubt I would imagine. Yeah. Right. You know, you know what the, 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 the thing about it is. So like five days in the training camp, we're sitting there and, you know, this is, you know, right when we were a day into pads and things. And again, special teams wise, I, I, I wanted to make sure that I was making my mark on special teams. So then whenever we had a special teams drill, I was in there and I'm, I'm, you know, I was, I was holding my own. Yeah. So like five days in the training camp, we're sitting there in our stretch line and I'm doing my I'm doing my stretch and Rick comes up next to me. Right. So I'm looking this way. Rick comes down. He, he comes up with his little notepad and he and he leans, he bends down and he's he's looking at his notepad still. Right. He's GM Rick Smith. You're yeah, Rick about. Smith. Mm-hmm. So he's he's talking at me, but he's not looking at me. Right. So he kneels next to me. He's just looking at his notepad. He, he, he mentioned he's like, you know what? I'm just wondering when you're going to fade. And gets up and walks off. Mm. Like, I'm like, what? I'm like, oh, okay. Now I know you see me. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, oh, okay. Like, because, you know, you, you, he's saying that to try to test you, to try to figure out where your head's at. Now I'm going to put you on notice that we see you to see what happens. Where do you where do you take this knowledge? Do you fold? Or But when he says that to me, I'm like, oh, you just messed up. Because now I know you see me. Now I know when you guys are in meetings that night, you're like, oh, who's 54? Like, this, this our seventh round. Oh, they know who you are. I mean, they like, they know okay. who everyone is. Yeah. Like, you know, I was like, okay, now so now you really see me though, because now you're like, oh, I'm just wondering when you're gonna fade and walked off. I'm like, oh, okay. So did I you shine it. even more after that? I mean, you know what's crazy? That day I probably had the worst practice of my life. Not I had the worst moments of the training camp that that day. We did a drill. I don't know if you remember Cedric Killings. Remember Cedric Killings? Of course, yeah. He was before yeah, I got there in 09, but I remember the name for sure. Okay. Right? So Cedric. <laughs> You know, 6'3", Mississippi, D-tackle. You know, this is when, you know, special teams was real. You could, like, murder people on special teams. Well, we did we did a drill, and, you know, I'm a rookie, and I'm going down there. Cedric's, like, six year. He knows the tempo. And he goes down there, and he – I mean, my head hit the ground first type. You know what I mean? Like, doof. Oh, okay. Oof. I go back the line. I come back. Same thing happens again. And now people are watching, though. You know what I mean? Now, now the guys are watching because now there's a little buzz about who's this – you know what I mean? And I just got laid out – twice back to back like oh no and then the worst part about it was the weather got bad and so we had to end up going into the bubble and we're on the far side of the practice field and I'm like the last one as the it's raining everybody's running into the the bubble and I'm just sitting there by myself walking in by myself at the end bro <laughs> it was just like damn but then we go in there and we did a 907 drill and I went out there and I laid somebody out on a run play and it kind of rebooted, you know what I mean? I was like, yeah, oh, yeah. if he can go through what he just went through outside and then come in here and do this, we might have something with this kid because he shouldn't be able to do this. You know, so making the team. How'd you find out the news though? Like, did somebody tell you, did you read about it on the internet? What, how'd it go? 
you know, they're supposed to call you. They, mm -hmm. like, they were like, we're going to give you a call. If you don't get a call before 1.30, then you're solid. So cut day comes, my, my brother, Punk, he called me at 11 o'clock. I'm like, my phone ring. And it's like, yeah. I was like, oh, man. And it's him. So I, I gave him a lot of verbal lashing. But after 1.30, my phone didn't ring, right? I go into the locker room the next day, still kind of skeptical. And I'm, I'm in there. I'm sitting in my locker. And I'm the first one there. And then I'm sitting there. And all of a sudden, Chester comes walking in, Chester Pitts. And he goes and sits at his locker. And he just kind of looks down at me. And he's like, congratulations, Rook. Thank you. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, like, I'm just kind of here right now. I don't know really what's going on. I didn't get a call, so I showed up today. You know what I mean? And, but Chester was like, yo, congratulations, Rook. I'm like, I don't really even know what that means right now, Chester, but I'm going to take that. And we're going to, so the rest of that day when I was walking on eggshells, you know, I'm, we're going into team meetings. I'm kind of just like tiptoeing in there. Like, do I, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I can come in. <laughs> like, it was, it was, it was surreal, man. I was, I made the team. Like, okay cool like let's go but then i was inactive like three weeks so it was it was it was a lot going on man it's one of those things man when rookies especially zach being a seventh rounder i think that's such a a real just reaction i, I love him talking about that because i can only imagine what guys go through i mean we talk about all the time who makes a 53-man roster i mean we're not living it man i mean we're not guy number 49 or number 50 that's like god am i gonna be here today should I, am i supposed to like what am i supposed to do i I thought it was great. Zach captured that uh, that moment of making the team uh, back in 2007 as a rookie. All right, we get back. Let's go around the NFL. A lot of things happening. We'll try and hit some of the big news stories that happen in the league next, right here on Texans All Access. It's all Access. It's all Access. It's all Access. We got one final segment left here on a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access, and it's time for our Schlumberger Stats Challenge. Really easy. Uh, for me to say, but go to HoustonTexas.com to take the Schlumberger Stats Challenge. And this stat is always one that Drew Doherty gives to all of us. He Every single week he sends us email to, is it email? Yeah, he sends email to like four or five of us. And it always has to do with turnovers. So this turnover shows you exact, or this stat shows you exactly why the Cardinals are in the position that they're in. And that is the number eight. A plus eight. How about the fact the Cardinals are plus eight in turnover margin? This is going to be a two-parter because I just thought of something else too. A two-parter. But they're plus eight in turnover margin. They have six interceptions, seven fumble recoveries. That's 13 turnovers that are takeaways they've created, and they've only given up the ball, I believe it is five times. Four interceptions from Kyler Murray, one fumble lost. That's one, part one, of the Schlumberger Stats Challenge. Here's the other one. 27 is the number. So by the number, Stats Challenge, kind of all in one. 27. 27 in six games is the amount of points the Texans have scored in the second half of games, six games in. Now, they've not scored a ton of points overall, but 27. They scored 10 of those in the opener against Jacksonville. But then Tyrod Taylor got hurt at Cleveland after they had scored 14. They had seven second half against the Browns. 
three against the Panthers, zero against the Bills, seven against the Patriots, zero against the Colts. They've had 17 the last four games. Is that right? Uh, no, ten. sorry, 10 the last four games, 17 the last five games. Since Davis Mills took over, 17. That's got to change. If you want a basis of comparison, the Cardinals in the second halves of games, six games, 82 points. 82. So that is essentially 13 and a half points in the second half versus the Texans like 4.3. That's got to change. The Texans got to be much, much better in the second halves of games as they go forward. All right, let's go around the NFL real fast. Some news tomorrow night's game. Broncos v. Browns. Bridgewater v. Baker. Oh, not Baker. It's going to be Case Keenum. Case Keenum going to start in lieu of an injured Baker Mayfield. Baker dealing with that torn labrum. Case Keenum will start in his place against Denver in a big, big game. The Seattle Seahawks have claimed former third-round draft pick of the Indianapolis Colts, Jacob Eason. Eason, if you remember when Carson Wentz was injured this offseason, Eason had to step up and take some snaps and do some things with the ones in preseason games. I was praying for this to happen, but Wentz made it back. But in that time, Sam Ellinger did some great things. And you know Sam from the University of Texas. Well, he was activated off the injured list. Eason put on waivers. The Seattle Seahawks claim the former Washington Husky slash Georgia Bulldog. Yeah, he's seen a lot in his days. But Jacob Eason, Eason now a Seattle Seahawk. And I mentioned this a little bit earlier. Whitney Merciless going to the Packers. And it looks like Andre Roberts will end up going to the Los Angeles no longer the San Diego, Los Angeles Chargers. So there's a little bit of news around the NFL. Boy, a lot happened on this show, but a big thanks to Mark Vandermeer, to Nick Casario, to DP City, to Danny Surek, to Drew Doherty, to Zach Dials, to Jimmy Mudd, my man, keeping me on the straight and narrow, to all of you for listening. Love you very much. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And as always, go Texans.